0: You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 2, Episode 16. Well, hello there and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host Mark Holfi, Canadian Immigration Lawyer, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. I am broadcasting from my office studio here at Stringham LLP, located in Lethbridge, Alberta, and I am uh, as always super excited to bring you another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. Um, in this episode, I had the chance to catch up to Janet Thompson Price, who is a Canadian immigration lawyer practicing with her firm um, Thompson Price Law in St. John's. And I am uh, I invited Janet to come on and talk about the uh, the Atlantic Immigration Pilot, which is totally awesome. It is really cool, and I think as you guys learn more about it, you'll realize uh, why practicing immigration law. It's probably the most enjoyable experience in the province of New Brunswick or one of the Atlantic provinces as compared to life here in one of the other areas. But we'll get to that in a little bit. I wanted to take a second and share something with all of you. So in last episode, I explained that my bike was stolen and that I was sleuthing around trying to find out who may have taken it because, hey, Lethbridge isn't a large city. So thanks to social media, having tons of friends share it with everyone else, someone sent me a picture of this bike that was chained to in kind of a little bit more of a seedier area of Lethbridge to this uh, brick apartment building uh, on the outside. And I was like, hmm, that looks like it could be my bike. Well, I got this Facebook post when I woke up in the middle of the night about three. I don't even remember why I woke up. And I said to my wife, I'm going to go look. <laughs> and so I went out at 3 a.m. in the morning, um, took my truck And went to this place, and sure enough, there was this bike there. And as I looked at the bike closer and closer, I realized that is my bike. So thanks to some amazing uh, officers here in the city, um, I now, well, they've got the bike. I'm just connecting with them to give my final statement, but my bike has been found. So I am so stoked. It's like Christmas has come early. So uh, I just wanted to share that with all of you guys. You can stop looking on Craigslist or Kijiji for this Kona Caldera bike because mine has been found. So fantastic. Within one week, Friday was my deadline, and I got it back. So thanks to all those people out there who lent a hand in getting the message out. And in all honesty, I haven't talked to the police. I'm sure the person who ultimately sold it probably turned it over quick, and then this person who has it didn't even realize that it was stolen. But regardless, um, Yes, I was able to get my bike back, or at least it's going to get back here in just a couple days as soon as I connect with the police and give them a statement. But uh, fantastic, and I just wanted to share that with you because it means I will once again be able to get on the road and ride. Except today here in Lethbridge, it is December the 18th, and there's a skiff of snow, and it's a little bit slippery, so I don't know if I'd be able to ride today in any event, but it's awesome to have it back. So I thought I'd share that with all of you guys, and some people probably wonder, well, why does Mark share this? Like, who cares? Well, the reality is there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast and many of you know me personally. Many of you are Canadian immigration lawyers across the country and, and consultants or others that have had interaction with me, but a lot of people don't. And in the early days when I started this, I did not want to be one of those nameless, faceless entities out there where you have no clue who's actually giving you information. Uh, you have no clue um, who's actually handling your file. I want to be real and transparent. And so one of the things I promised myself is that I would share things about my life so that people could realize I am a real human being. I'm a Canadian immigration lawyer, yes, but I've got a family. I've got four kids. I bike to work. I'm just an average everyday person. I'm a farm kid. I grew up on a farm. So all of those things just to help people realize that that I'm a real person and that uh you know you, you know exactly where you're getting the information from. So anyways, I thought I'd just share that and clarify. But without further ado, let's just jump right into this, uh, this great interview that I had with uh, Janet Thompson Price. Well, I'm here today with Janet Thompson Price, who is a Canadian immigration lawyer practicing with her firm, Thompson Price Law, based in St. John. Welcome, Janet. Hi, thank you. It has been a long time that we have been dancing around trying to find a time that would work for uh, for us to get you on the podcast. So I am super excited to have you finally to to join us here.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here.
0: All right. Well, Janet, why don't I take just a couple minutes and I'm gonna introduce the listeners to you, give them a little bit of a background um on you and and uh and then we'll jump right into our topic, which I know our listeners will be interested in, and it is the Atlantic immigration pilot and uh, there's no one better situated to do this given the fact that Janet practices out of New Brunswick, which is right in the heart. So um, a little bit of background, Janet earned her Bachelor of Business Administration and Bachelor of Laws degree from the University of New Brunswick. So you you went to law school there and, and that's where you uh, stayed and practiced.
1: That's right. Uh, born and raised here.
0: Awesome. And that awesome was specifically given for um, Ronalee Carey, who said that I should only use awesome when it's really awesome. And so there you go, Ronalee. <laughs> that was an awesome because it's really cool to see someone go to law school and stick and stay and contribute to their uh, to their home province, which is really cool. All right. <laughs> Upon graduation, uh, Janet articled with the Atlantic Canadian uh, law firm of Stuart McKelvey, uh, where she remained for a number of years in their litigation department. And, uh, now, and now she's uh, obviously on her own, has her own firm. And um, she is currently, and this is where we have our connection, uh, Janet, she's currently the section chair for the New Brunswick branch of the Canadian Bar Association's Citizenship and Immigration Law section. And, um, And like myself, Janet has been invited to speak at countless immigration conferences, both within New Brunswick and across Canada, and one of those being the Canadian Bar Association's National Immigration Conference. And a few years back, Janet and I had the opportunity to speak with Jeffrey Lowe, who's been a past guest on the podcast, uh, covering a topic that is unique and specific to lawyers, which was called Money Matters. And it was the business of practicing immigration law. And so that was quite entertaining, wasn't it?
1: It was great. And if memory serves, I think we had quite a large turnout for that panel.
0: Absolutely, we did. And, you know, that's one of the the more challenging aspects of practicing law is knowing and, and trying to figure out a way to actually uh, uh, make money and provide for your family. And uh, Janet, like, like uh, myself, you have um, one of your proudest accomplishments you have listed here on your website is your family. And uh, yes. you, you and your husband, Todd, are the proud parents of three children. So how old are your children now?
1: I have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old, and all three are in hockey and other sports, so they keep us hopping.
0: Jumping all over the place. I know very well, very well how that is, for sure. So, yeah, once once you start to to have kids and they start to get older, life becomes busier and busier, and it just seems like, uh, yeah, it's it's quite the dance in and of itself to manage everything that's going on with, uh, with the busy family life. Well, Janet... Aside for her, for her uh, from her immigration background and uh, um, the accomplishments that she has personally, um, in 2009 she was chosen to be one of the esteemed 21st leaders for the 21st century, uh, where she was fortunate to travel across New Brunswick, meeting dynamic New Brunswickers both in the public and private sectors, and this invaluable experience uh, was able to show her how local business people are thriving in a global economy, and. You got to tell me a little bit more about this. Share with our listeners what this what this entailed.
1: It was it really was an amazing opportunity. Uh, every so many years, the province would choose uh 21 leaders under the age of 35 and we went on these tours and we met with community stakeholders and business leaders really trying to teach us and help us uh if we chose to stay in our province to make our province a better place and i was born here i've lived here my whole life and i am so proud to live in new brunswick and and that's part of the reason i really like immigration law because i want people to come here and see how what you know what a wonderful province this really is
0: well, that's awesome because it fits perfectly into, like I said, our topic of, of the Atlantic immigration pilot. But before we get to that, how did you get into immigration? Um, I know you've listed, you've indicated that your parents, you are a child of immigrants, a daughter of immigrant parents. How did you get into immigration?
1: That's a good question. Um, like you said, my parents were immigrants, and I, I remember the day that they became Canadian citizens and how special that was in my family. Um, so it's always been a place near and dear to my heart. And uh, when I started to practice a little bit in immigration law, I realized just how fulfilling it was. I mean, there's no better feeling, and I'm sure, Mark, you know the same thing, that you know, when a family gets to stay in Canada or come to Canada or be reunited, there's no nicer feeling professionally.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. And like I've said on many past podcasts, um, immigration is just a little bit different because um, unlike some of the other areas of law where, you know, business tends to be a little dry and you're just facilitating paper, um, litigation tends to be contentious. And so no one's really happy with the outcome. But with immigration, our clients are genuinely appreciative of what we do for them. And that's so, right. So and it was actually
1: kind of cute. My, one of my kids actually used to say, well, mommy used to sue people,
0: <laughs> which I
1: didn't like very much. Yeah. Um, but now it's mommy helps people come to Canada. So yeah. that's a really nice feeling.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so that's, uh, I think most of the guests that I have on the podcast, that's how they feel that uh, one of the the huge huge benefits to practicing in this area is just having the ability to have a positive influence in the lives of people who are just trying to make a better a better life for themselves so wonderful that's great Um, all right well why don't we why don't we just jump right into our topic here Um, this Atlantic immigration pilot what is this and and why was it created in the first place
1: This is a wonderful program. It really is. Um, it was designed to help the Atlantic Canadian provinces, so New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland and Prince Edward Island. Uh, the the four provinces had really been experiencing population decline in the past so many years. Um, I think in New Brunswick since 2011, I believe it's been a decline of 0.5 percent each year. And so this program was designed to make it easier for people who would look to immigrate to one of these provinces. It's done away a lot of the red tape. It's not a point system. You're not competing against other people to be chosen out of a pool of candidates. It's just literally meeting the needs of our local uh, labor shortages and then helping people come here quickly
0: very cool. And so let's, okay, so as far as the the, the, the categories, I understand there's various uh, various categories within, um, within the program itself. Why don't we just, for our listeners, just break down some of these categories and give a little bit of background information. Um, yeah, why don't you just jump in and, and give us a little bit of a breakdown?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think to start, we should say that it's a three-step process. Uh, in every province, they're going to have their own specific things, but generally speaking, in each of the provinces, it's a three-step process. The first one is employers have to apply to become designated in their province. And for them to become designated, what that means is they have to show that they have advertised and they can't find suitable people to fill their labour needs. And again, it's different. In New Brunswick, you just have to show you've done advertising in the past month. In Nova Scotia, I think it's it's more specific and you have to meet certain advertising requirements requirements but the great thing about this program it's nowhere near as strict or as onerous on employers as the labor market impact assessment process and that so was, they're not going to be subject to audits okay. they don't have this $1000 processing fee it's just them trying to show look we we're doing everything we can we just can't hire anyone and of course the great thing is the province they know better than the federal government what the local labor labor needs are yes And so they apply to become designated. Um, The other thing is I should mention, uh, they have to show that um, they've been in business and it's a genuine business. Uh, In New Brunswick specifically, they have to show that they've been in business for at least two years and it has to be an active business. So they can't just have have been been incorporated for two years. It has to be an active, ongoing, genuine business.
0: Now, I know in, in Alberta, some of the, you know, we were in the process of revamping <clears throat> excuse me, our Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program. And just uh, just last week, they put a hold on it because some of the changes oh, that they were yeah. making, people, some of the stakeholders weren't happy with it. So there's a little bit of a suspension mm-hmm. to it. But mm-hmm. are there restrictions on the type of of business that you operate? So in other words, if you have a home-based business versus... More of an external bricks and mortar operation. Like, are there restrictions on on that to any extent? Because I know that's been something discussed in you know the new uh, Alberta immigrant nominee program,
1: right? And I'm I'm mostly familiar with New Brunswick, obviously, because that's where I practice. Yes. Uh, for New Brunswick, there's no specific pro- prohibitions in terms of the type of business. It's a highly discretionary program. So obviously. Um, I shouldn't say obviously, but yeah. the, more, the more established a business is, the greater the likelihood that I think it would become designated. Um, the other thing is the province on their website, they say that they will invite people, companies to apply who are in certain key sectors. But then you have to do a little digging and see what the key sectors are. Gotcha. <laughs> and again, it would go to show like what are the current labor shortages in the province. Right now, I, I've done a few, um, say, truck drivers. That's obviously a real shortage here in our province.
0: Interesting. So, I, I think maybe I, I just glossed over it. But which provinces are participating in this?
1: New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland.
0: Okay. All right. So, purely, obviously, the Atlantic immigri- uh, the Atlantic provinces.
1: Right. And so once they become designated, the next step, it's the endorsement stage. And so basically the employer's been designated. They now have identified people they want to bring. And then they have to work with a local settlement agency such as like in, in New Brunswick and St. John we have the St. John YMCA does settlement services and the newcomer resource center and they actually would work with the actual candidate, uh, whether it's by Skype or if they're here they can actually go and have a meeting and they're going to come up with a settlement plan that's very specific to that candidate and their family uh, so once they come what are they going to need for housing for language for training things like that and a very specific Specific plan is, is created and that accompanies the employer's endorsement application back to the province and basically saying we now want to endorse candidate X and if the province approves that then they have this endorsement form that they provide and then the candidate can then apply for permanent residence using this endorsement form.
0: So once the employer has passed the initial bar of showing that look there's a shortage out there so the the actual mm-hmm. uh, designation with the province um, it's then at that stage that they're free to to try and identify someone. Um, is there ever a circumstance where employees uh, or independent individuals are able to reach out to employers that are already designated? Or is this purely an employer-driven process?
1: Uh, well, actually, no. The great thing is the employers, they can be designated become designated without having anyone specifically in mind. They're just showing the province, look, we have this genuine need. We're advertising. We can't find anyone. Mm -hmm. And so after that, either a candidate can reach out to the employer directly, um, either through, you know, just responding to a a job posting or the the employer can even work with the province because the province is also out there doing recruiting sessions and information sessions, and the province can also potentially match potential candidates with employers.
0: Hmm. And so how would an individual who's overseas, it says, you know, that thinks to themselves, hey, I would love to go and live in Atlantic Canada. um, What are the best methods or is there a way for them to identify which companies have already been designated by the province? Or is it, you know, when companies are posting advertisements, you know, do they ever put up we are already a, a, a designate for the purposes of the Atlantic Immigration Pilot Program?
1: Yeah, that's that's the million-dollar question right there. <laughs> I wish there was a magical list that the province would post and say these are the, pro- the the employers that are designated, but there's no such magical list. So it is a bit of a search on their part, unfortunately. Um, you know, clearly they could be responding to job ads in Atlantic Canada, particularly you know on the Job Bank, focusing on Atlantic Canada, and then reaching out to the employer and, and hopefully that they've been designated. A lot of employers here are very willing as well to become designated. And Mm -hmm. I have to say, our provincial government at least, um, they're doing a great job. Uh, Locally, they're doing educational sessions throughout our whole province trying to encourage employers to become designated that have needs.
0: And I guess if an individual does find an employer who... um May not even know about the program. They may be just locked in. Oh, I have to get a labor market impact assessment, and I have to go through that that cumbersome process just to get a work permit for them. Or consider supporting them through express entry, or whatever it may be. Um, it's always possible once that connection is made for the uh, you know the the individual. If you know, they listen to this podcast and they hear about this amazing immigration lawyer out in New Brunswick, Janet Thompson-Price, and, hey, uh, you know, Janet, can you let this employer know about this program you were talking about? Because I'd like to participate. I guess you could do it that way as well, right? And then the employer applies to be designated.
1: And that's right. And I do that a fair bit. I'll actually... um just reach out to the employer and walk them through the province and we're also really spoiled here because we have this wonderful provincial department and the employees are probably gonna maybe not like me saying this publicly but there's they are great and they are accessible um and so employers can actually reach out to them and they would gladly answer questions about this program and encourage them to apply
0: oh wonderful oh. I am so jealous. I am so jealous. We
1: can talk to humans here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is definitely a rarity. All right. Well, that's, well, that's really cool. Okay. So, okay. So we've got the first two, basically the designation and then the endorsement of an employee. And then what happens after that?
1: So after the employee has been designated, then they're going to submit an application for permanent residence uh, that would go to CPC Sydney, Nova Scotia. And we probably should take a step back because Mm -hmm. we haven't really talked about the different categories. Mm, So, you know, you've got this job offer, but what does that mean? Uh, So there are three categories under the Atlantic Pilot Program. There's a high skilled stream. And so that's a job offer of a NOx skill level O, A or B. We have an intermediate stream, which is a NOC skill level C, and then we have this great new program, or I guess it's not new, it's the same same age as the other ones, but this international graduate stream. And so under all of these categories, the candidate has to have a qualifying full-time non-seasonal job offer by the employer that's been designated they also have to have certain level of education and to show that they actually have the ability to fulfill the job requirements. But the great thing about the international graduate category is they don't need any prior work experience at all. They just have to show that they've gone to a publicly funded post-secondary institution in one of the Atlantic Canadian provinces. But obviously, if you're applying to, say, New Brunswick, it would be that you graduated from a New Brunswick institution, Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia institution and so on. Um, But that's wonderful. As long as they've got this two years, when they graduate, if they have a job offer, they can apply right away for permanent residence. Hmm.
0: So just to to clarify, so if a a student went to school in Nova Scotia, um, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't be eligible to go to New Brunswick if they had a job offer there?
1: I believe they need to graduate from a New Brunswick institution to be endorsed by the province, Mm -hmm. but I'm not positive on that. No, and
0: that's fine. That's fine. That's definitely something that people can look into. Um, it's, It's so interesting because one of the proposed changes to our new well, the Alberta Opportunities essentially stream. So they were going to simplify everything um, and create this new opportunities, Alberta Opportunities Stream. And one of the significant components was the specific exclusion of international graduates. So students that had actually come through any education within Alberta, um, one of the proposals was that uh, anyone on an open work permit wouldn't be eligible. So only those who were on LMIA-based work permits or you know, the, the traditional intercompany transfers and things like that, but a named right. employer. And um, I know for a fact, that, that was one of the reasons why there was a quite a large backlash with this. But um, oh yeah, yeah that's, huh, that's, that's really interesting. So obviously, the, you know, the international graduates are a sought, uh, a sought after um, source of, of new immigrants for the Atlantic provinces.
1: They really are. And to me, it just makes logical sense. Uh, if they've come here and they've gone to our university, uh, they're coming out, they're highly educated, they obviously have a high level of uh, English or French, and they've already started planting roots here in our province. So hopefully that would mean that they're, they're more likely to stay here permanently.
0: Hmm. And it's solely based on whether the position is skilled. It has nothing to do with income levels or wage or anything like that. It's if no. they have a job offer that's well, let's take one of the least common denominators, a food service supervisor for instance. That would still work for the purposes of, of this program.
1: It would because that would be a knock B position.
0: Mhm. Yep. Huh, interesting. Okay, so um can we drill just a little bit down into the uh this um the intermediate skill because I know many people are are curious about that because those are are a little bit lower So those wouldn't normally have another pathway to permanent residence in Canada. I'm assuming these are C's and D's, right? And so...
1: No, only not skill level C C. can apply.
0: Okay, only C. So that, with respect to express entry, they're not eligible. Many of the other programs in the other provinces as well do not have um, uh, categories, at least open-ended categories for these intermediate level skills. And so um, can you talk just a little bit about those and is, you know, are there any significant differences between a high skilled and an intermediate skilled, those two categories? Like does intermediate require uh, language assessments and high school doesn't? Or are there any specific nuances between the two or is it pretty much the same?
1: It's pretty much the same. Um, there are specific language requirements, but the benchmark is quite low, which, again, makes this more attainable than the federal programs. Uh, you have to have a CLB 4 in all four categories.
0: Oh, all four. Wow, that yeah. is low. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And at a minimum, you have to have post—you uh, have have to have secondary education, mm-hmm. uh, either through a Canadian institution or um, if it's a foreign degree, it has to be assessed.
0: Right. Oh, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and the other great thing about this program are the settlement funds. The settlement funds are much lower than the federal program. So, for example, um, a single person only needs to show that they have $3,075.
0: Oh, wow, versus $12,300. Like like 12. yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, and if you're working here, you don't need to show it at all.
0: Of course. Hmm. So um, without, and I don't mean to kind of uh, direct the conversation here, but I've got so many questions. This is such a neat program. Um, so at what stage do the settlement organizations get involved? Is it is it at the stage when they are uh, getting the endorsement, or is it when they're actually applying for permanent residence?
1: No, it's typically at the endorsement stage. Um, the employer can't even apply to become endorsed without providing a settlement plan.
0: Ah, Okay. And then they would work with, it. like, to what role would a lawyer play in that process? Or is it just a matter of connecting them with the settlement organizations and they put their own settlement plans together and then they bring it back to you?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I might put them in touch with a specific settlement officer at one of the support organizations, but they're the ones. Because the ownership should be on the employer. Mm-hmm. The, The idea behind this program is they're really trying to, A, get people here, but also have them stay here. And so they wanted to shift the responsibility burden onto the employers in one respect, to make the employers have a more fostering work environment uh, where temporary foreign workers are more likely to uh, stay. And so if the onus is on them, then they're working with a settlement agency to come up with a plan that's unique and specific to that candidate to work for that employer.
0: Hmm. And so how far does the settlement plan go? Does it go as far as, you know, creating kind of a budget, how you're going to support yourself, um, where you're going to live, those kinds of things?
1: Uh, yeah, and it, it all depends on where the candidate is. So I've had people that have you know, been here working for two years or they've graduated from university here. And so those settlement plans are obviously quite simple because the person already has established themselves in the province. They're going to be much more detailed if the person uh, lives away, and especially if they have family members, because then the plan also has to help, you know, where are the kids going to go to school? What do we have to do to get the kids ready to go to school? Things like that.
0: That makes sense. So when you're going through this process, I know one of the most common questions we get is how long does it take? Um, what are the processing times for, you know, to go through this this whole cycle of eventually becoming a permanent resident?
1: Right. So when they first launched the program, um, I believe the processing time was supposed to be six months. And that's still the goal, but it doesn't take into effect the first stages. So the designation and the endorsement. And in New Brunswick, employers first have to submit an expression of interest to the province, which is a very simple one-page form. And then if they get invited, then they put in their designation application and then the endorsement. And depending on the volume and how busy our department is at that time, it could take anywhere from, I've seen them come literally in 24 hours. I've seen them take two months. And then once the application goes to Sydney, the federal application, that's where the goal is to have it done in six months. I've seen them come in in two months. I've also, I've got several right now, and we are approaching the six-month mark.
0: Wow. So you're saying they are shooting at, for the most part, matching express entry in terms of processing times.
1: That's right. And oh, then wow. there's also the ability to get work permits through this program, too. So if you need somebody right away, uh, it can be shortened
0: Hmm. Wow, so this is one of those r two o four c letters essentially um, yeah wow uh, that is really that is awesome <laughs> yeah um well i i i don't want to tell you how badly i'm thinking i 'd like to move out there, but um <laughs> <laughs> right now uh, it 's so interesting across the the country um obviously the programs are are designed to attract people to you know, to the Atlantic provinces and, you know, uh, Toronto, for instance, and Ontario and, and BC are, are not in those same situations because, you know, the vast majority of new immigrants, gen- you know, generally, generally speaking, want to go to those larger centers. And so it makes perfect sense why this program is this way. Um, okay, I want to ask two kind of questions, and we didn't really talk about this in advance, and I hope I don't put you on the spot, but if you were to, Try to identify maybe one thing that employers commonly, or employees within this process, a mistake or a problem that they, you know, that they do that either causes their endorsement to, you know, their their their, their designation to be rejected, or that, you know, the application aside from just not completing it properly and making sure that they meet the the minimum. Uh, requirements on paper but are are there problem areas that you see that continue to to kind of pop up with people who are trying to to navigate this process? You, I know you probably don't see a lot because you do it right the first time, but um, you know people that have <laughs> yeah. reported to you.
1: Well, I, and I have I have to compliment the province. The forms are quite straightforward, so it's not an overly complex process. It's just a matter of you know making sure that you qualify and then completing the application. Um, what, what? I'm just trying to think of a common pitfall. Mm-hmm. The only thing I've seen a couple times are questions that have arisen, uh, it comes on the back end with the application to uh, the federal application, because under the high skilled stream and the intermediate stream, you have to show that you've got this, you know, at least one year work experience in the past. And again, it kind of goes to, you have to show that you have this 1,560 hours of full-time work in the past three years or part-time equivalent. Mm -hmm. And where I've seen a couple of them is say, somebody has worked 10 months, Mm. but they've worked those hours. At least one application I'm aware of got pushed back from Sydney saying, no, you don't qualify because you don't have the 12 months. Uh So even though they had the hours, they didn't have the full 12 months in.
0: Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. So there still is that expectation that you're gonna meet the minimum threshold of that of that one year of of, right. of qualifying work experience.
1: Yeah. So it doesn't matter how many hours over that you have, but that's the minimum and the twelve months.
0: Huh. All right. Well this is this has been great. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners that you think might be helpful or useful to them before we before we wrap up our our discussion today?
1: Yeah, I will shamelessly plug the Atlantic provinces. They're such an amazing place to live. Um, We have some of the lowest um, housing costs in the country. Uh, I think it was just recently shown that we have some of the shortest commute times uh, to get to work, to travel. It's so safe here, and it's just a really nice laid-back way of life. People here are so friendly, and we would love more people to come here.
0: And you forgot the most important plug of all, and that is the lobster.
1: Yes. <laughs> well, that's it. It's a maritime tradition. Christmas Eve, you have a big lobster boil. So that's coming up next week.
0: Oh, that is awesome. And you know what? Before we before we end, I also wanted to have you talk a little bit about what you do for your clients who, who become permanent residents. I thought it was such an awesome little idea. And you mentioned that your, your parents, t- tell us a little bit about your parents and, and how that led into this little thing that you do for your clients.
1: Yeah. um, So when my parents immigrated here, and we're going back a long time, uh, my grandmother gave my mother a Canadian maple leaf brooch. And my mom kept it all these years, and I have it now, and I actually wear it quite frequently, especially at Immigration Matters. And so recently, I had this idea of kind of continuing that tradition. So now, um, if a client becomes a Canadian citizen, I have these beautiful pewter maple leaf brooches or for men a lapel pins done, and then give them to clients to go to the citizenship ceremony, which I always make best efforts to go to because I think it's so wonderful and so special.
0: Oh, that, that's amazing. Do you guys see you listeners? Do you see why I get these these particular guests on? Because they are awesome. Because they do things the right way. They genuinely care about their clients. And, uh, you know, when I listen to stories like this, one, it gives me tons of ideas to do within my own practice. But it just... It's just so cool. And I love going out of my way to try to showcase all of you awesome immigration lawyers across the country that are good friends, that are doing it the right way. And, um, you know, in an industry of, like ours that is quite scuzzy, there's a lot of people out there that are just looking to try to make a buck off the backs of other people who don't genuinely care. You know, they... they um, they just are not in it for the same reasons. And so when I have people on like you that are doing it the right way, it just uh, it's just awesome and I can't help but share. So with that last plug for you, Janet, how can people or what is the best way for them to reach you if they have any immigration needs out, out in your direction, let alone the Atlantic uh, Immigration Pilot?
1: Oh, sure. So my firm uh, website is www.thompsonpricelaw.com My email is Janet at Thompsonpricelaw.com And I'm Thompson with a P <laughs> And I also have a firm Facebook page Which would be Facebook backslash uh, Thompson Price Law backslash
0: Awesome. Okay. I'm going to make sure that each of these methods of reaching out to you are firmly placed in the show notes. So if anybody doesn't quite, wasn't able to get this down because they're riding their bike somewhere and listening to this on iTunes, you can always go back to the CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com website. And if you go into the show notes for this particular episode, you will be able to find Janet's contact information. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Janet, for joining us.
1: Well, thank you. I really enjoyed this.
0: All right. Well, you take care.
1: Okay. You too. Bye. Bye.
0: Well, as I indicated to Janet in the uh, the interview that we just did, um, the way she portrayed the Atlantic provinces and, in particular, New Brunswick, with this amazing uh, Atlantic immigration pilot, boy it almost makes me want to move out there. Now, if it wasn't for my my horse here and my fly fishing and my mountains and all of those things, um, boy, she makes a strong case for why it would be a wonderful place to live. And for all of you immigrants who are listening to this who are trying to determine which province do I go to, well, I can tell you, the Atlantic province is looking pretty darn good with this, with this immigration pilot. And even without it, just as a wonderful place to live and raise your family. So uh, thanks so much to Janet for sharing some just great insight on the program. And, uh, and thanks to all of you for listening, as you always do. Don't forget to go to iTunes and rate the podcast. Um, Please take the time to do that because it helps to elevate its exposure and uh, get before people that are interested in consuming this content. Um, Thanks to all of you who have given me feedback. If you have an idea for uh, a topic in the future or you yourself would like to join me as a guest, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Don't be afraid to. you can do so at my email, mholthe, M-H-O-L-T-H-E, at stringham.ca, S-T-R-I-N-G-A-M.ca, which is the, the law firm in which I practice. You can just send me an email and let me know you're interested in what your topic would be. I'd love to have you join me. Um, I want to thank... Uh, all of you uh, faithful people who have stuck with me throughout this whole year, we're closing in on 2017, getting ready to hit 2018. I've got a bunch of new speakers, that, uh, new guests that are going to be joining me. And uh, I think the, the Canadian Immigration Podcast is alive and well, and it's going to continue forward. And thanks so much for, for being a part of it. So I wish you all the best. Um, Every one of you listeners, uh, no matter what you are, whether you're a Canadian immigration lawyer, consultant, or just individual looking to come to Canada, I wish you guys all the best as we all navigate this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. Oh,
2: Canada.